How are you guys doing? Are anybody else, you know, feeling bad? Did everybody else make it through the Christmas week? Not me. Uh, Christmas morning, I uh, started feeling really bad, got through all the opening of the presents, and then I was clearly sick. I, w- I was in bed all week long. It's a bit of a holiday tradition for me at this point. <laughs> in fact, 30 years ago, I had my first Christmas in Michigan. 30 years ago this week. Uh, it's memorable because after that very, very cold, icy Christmas here in Michigan, um, I was super sick, perhaps the sickest I've ever been in my life. I had a fever of over 103 degrees. There was talk of going uh, to the hospital if we couldn't flip it and turn it around. And even though I was burning up and sweating profusely, I was freezing cold and bundled under just about every blanket in the house. I was uh, so congested and yet at the same time coughing up more stuff than a Nickelodeon game show. And my eyes were bloodshot, my face was swollen and puffy and red, and that went on for days, but I had big New Year's plans and there was no way in the world I was gonna miss it. And then New Year's Eve came and the fever broke. It was gone, which was fantastic. Like I said, I had big plans. And so the problem was, is what that did to my body over the course of all those days of being such a high fever and sweating, my hair was super oily and I could not wash that out. It was just greasy looking and matted looking and it was, it was not great. It was not a good look. Uh, I was still extremely... Uh, weak. Uh, I was super pale. My eyes were still really bloodshot and, and swollen, and I couldn't get the contacts in my eyes. So the only pair of glasses that was remaining available to me were a prescription that I had in middle school, and the frames were out of style then, so it was not doing me any favors for this particular big uh, event that uh, was going on. I, I tell you, I mean, roadkill two days old on a Texas highway looked better than I did. But I slid into a tuxedo. Uh, My friends propped me up like some scene out of Weekend at Bernie's. And then we all marveled at the courage and the radiance of Kelly walking down the aisle to receive me as her husband on January 1st, 1994. 30 years tomorrow. Thank you. Congratulations to Kelly, who's made that happen. 30 years. A couple of years ago, I was approaching my 50th trip around the star at the middle of our solar system, my birthday. And as I was coming up on that, I started spending a lot of time thinking about time. And then in the year plus since, I've also spent a lot of time thinking about time. When I was younger, like these middle schoolers I'm going to spend the afternoon with, we talked about being over 50 as being over the hill. And to a younger mind, I thought that that meant you were on the downslope, that things sped up for you on the other side. And as I've contemplated that, I've realized that 
time hasn't sped up. I'm just much more aware of how fast it's been going all along. Anybody else can resonate with that? 30 years, 50 plus years, 51 plus years for me now. I'm just marveling at how fast that time goes. Last year, on the last Sunday of the calendar year, I spoke to you and I talked to you about the two different ways that the Greeks spoke about time. There was kairos time, which was not the measure of time, but those special moments of time. It was the qualitative measure of time, those special opportune, divine moment type times. And I gave you this story of a moment that changed the trajectory of my life and our ministry and everything that Kelly and I have done since can be traced all the way back to that moment, that Kairos moment. We're trying to get home and watching a couple of ladies get involved in a moment of road rage. Some of you will remember that story. It's those moments, those kairos moments, are those, those times what it does to you and through you in that. It doesn't matter how long it lasts. It doesn't matter how fast the time goes. Those moments, it's what's happening to you in the midst of those moments. That's kairos. The other way that the Greeks spoke about time was chronos, which was the measure of time from which we get the word chronology, whether that's seconds, minutes, Hours, days, weeks, months, years, decades, centuries, millennia. That's chronology, the measure of time, chronos. And while I spoke to you last year about kairos, I want to speak to you this year about chronos because I'm thinking about time, 30 years, 51 plus years. If I'm fortunate, if I'm blessed, if I am able to live beyond the average life expectancy, I may have 40 more trips around the sun, 40 more summers, 40 more falls, 40 more winters, 40 more springs, 40 more birthdays, 40 more anniversaries. If I'm fortunate, Kronos. But what if, what if I die at the age my father did? Then I have 20 more trips around the sun, 20 more summers, 20 more winters, 20 more anniversaries. When you start thinking about 20, it seems much, much less than the number of days that I have left. Psalm 90, verse 12, there's a verse that says, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. It's not in figuring out how much longer we have to live that we gain wisdom. It's figuring out how we want to live with the time that we have left. That's where the wisdom is gained. And as I think about the possibility of 
maybe only 20 years, 20 months, 20 days, who's to say? And the time that I have left, how do I want to spend it? What do I want to devote myself to, my mind to, my heart to, my opportunities with my children or my wife or my friends? How do I want to spend that time? That's where the wisdom is discovered. And I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this, approaching 30, and thinking about this time left with this one who met me at an altar looking the way I did. And as I think about that, I've come up with a list. And this isn't a list that I'm necessarily saying has to be your list. Go find your own list. This is my, this is, this is my confession of how I want to spend my time. I'm not saying that my things are, are deeply personal and only specific to me. But you do that work. You think about how you want to live the time that you have left. Talk about it with the loved ones in your life and be set on it. One of my favorite proverbs, not a biblical proverb, but wisdom thought, is that the man on top of the mountain didn't fall there. There was a plan. There was an effort. There was a step after step after step there was a forsaking of something so that he could get to the top of that mountain. He didn't fall there. It wasn't accidental. And I think that what happens within youth is that we spend so much of our life thinking that we've got so much time. And that when you're on that downslope, you realize how quickly that time has elapsed. So what do you want to do? How do you want to spend that time that you have left? For me, because I'm a geeky communicator, I put it in an acronym. It just worked out that way. And the acronym is TIME. T is for thankful. A few weeks ago, I had a mock uh, Thanksgiving dinner set up here. And I used the elements of a, of a meal to be able to portray to you some metaphors that we should carry into the holiday season. And the first of that, that main course as I cut into the rotisserie chicken that was supposed to look like a turkey, <laughs> was gratitude, thankfulness. That it wasn't just for that week of Thanksgiving, that it should carry us within the holiday. And as I thought about that, and as I prepared that message, I started thinking a lot about this message and, and, and what I'm trying to do with my life over the time that I have left. And I started thinking about, I want thankfulness to be very much a part at the heart of who I am for the rest of my time on this earth. Because it is so easy to be negative and our culture is so easy and so quick to complain. It's so easy to, to find an opportunity to rant and to rage against all the different things that are going on that are unfair and wrong within the world in which we live, about politics, about society, about, about uh, the economy and all kinds of other different things. And it's not that I don't want to be involved in fixing those injustices because justice is very much a part of who I am and it's a part of my DNA. But I don't want to spend all that time complaining. Negativity and complaining and criticism are like cancers. They take away life 
more than they necessarily contribute to life. And like cancer, some of the most exciting research that I've read over the last couple of years as I begin to think about things that may affect me in my future, some of the most exciting research that has came out is this CRISPR research, which they're actually finding ways to be able to go in and rewrite the genetic code of the cancer cells so that it will either terminate the life of those cells or contribute to the life rather than take from the life. It's exciting stuff. It holds great promise. They're seeing these things where if they change the way these cells think about who they are and what they're supposed to do, that it could turn the direction of cancer within a body. And I think that thankfulness is that opportunity to rewrite what we would otherwise complain about. In that message in November that I gave you, I talked to you about Matthew Henry, who took this opportunity to think about being robbed and the scripture that says, give thanks in all circumstances. And he wrestled with, how can I give thanks for being robbed? And he came up with a list that led him to have a place of compassion toward the very individual who robbed him, as well as gratitude for what God had done to him in changing his perspective about that moment. I want to start rewriting the things because I have things to complain about. I have things that I'm upset about. But can I be intentionally thankful and grateful the remaining days of my life because I don't want to spend my time complaining. And on the way out, people said, man, that guy never had a good thing to say about anybody or anything. I have a relative who was growing up, and my wife knows who this is, and I'm not going to say who this is, but I never went anywhere in public with her that she did not complain to the manager. I'm serious. I got to the point that when we married, I promised I would never, ever go out in public with her again. <laughs> because it just makes you shrink and die inside when you're around that much negativity. And at the end of her life, towards the end, she came to visit us. And I had to meet her in a restaurant to pick her up and bring her to our house. I walk in and I kid you not, she's complaining to the manager in an empty restaurant. She's the only patron there, but she had something to complain about. Twenty more trips around the sun. Do I want to spend it like that? Or do I want to spend it like Thanksgiving Day with a heart of gratitude? with the people that I care about. That's my T. I is intentional. This year, um, I stepped more into some responsibilities that Pastor Chris wanted me to be able to do uh, coming on staff part-time, and that was being able to walk along some of the Orchard Grove family members in times of grief. And I conducted a couple of Celebration of Life services 
for families who lost loved ones this year. And one of them really changed me recently. Um, I sat down with a woman named Dawn who had lost her husband in an accident and learned about her husband, Ron, and learned about his life and learned about their life together and how they met and how they spent their time and his life as a businessman and all the different things that he had done and all the things that he had accomplished. But it was his life socially, particularly intentionally, that I was really drawn to. When we came to the time of the service, it was standing room only in the funeral home. People had come from far and wide, from his business circles, from across the country, family members, and they were, had a time of open sharing. And during the sharing, everybody had something to say. And one person after another, a line of people, just gave these stories and told these moments of how Ron was there at their son's graduation party, how Ron was there at their retirement party, how Ron was there when their mother was sick, how Ron was there at the St. Patrick's Day party, how Ron was there at the Christmas party or the, 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 all the different other different events and parties, or how when Ron came to a convention and we, he knew that I was going to be there, he had a plan for us to be able to go and have dinner. And then if we went to go have dinner and I'd say it was time to wrap up the night, he'd always say, one more stop. And he always knew where to go on the way to my hotel. And we always had that one more memory together. Ron was intentional. You see, Wednesday or Thursday, without fail, he scoured Facebook looked for what people were doing on the weekend, looked for what was happening in their lives, looked for what they were celebrating or what they were mourning or what they were grieving, and they made a plan to go Saturday and Sunday to as many of those events as they possibly could. Didn't matter if it was across the state or across town, they were showing up and then they were spending some time with those friends and then they were off to the next one. He had childhood friends at his funeral And I listened to that. And I thought about the people in my life who we always say, hey, let's get together sometime. Or let's do that. Let's, let's meet again soon. And then we hope that it'll happen by accident rather than with a plan and on purpose. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, it says in Romans chapter 12. And I do that so unintentionally for the last 51 years of my life. And for as much as God gives me going forward, I want to be much more intentional. I want to have a plan to be with people and to set those dates and to set those times and to find out what's going on in their life and to be a part of it. Because that's where life is. M is for mindful. 
The practice of mindfulness is, is just the practice of trying to slow down, to be present in whatever situation or with whatever company you have, whether it's with others or just alone by yourself out in creation, just taking the moment to just stop, to do what Psalm 46.10 says, and to be still and know God in that moment or in that individual that you're sharing time with. When we got married, Kelly had to give me an education pretty quickly because I grew up thinking that the things on the side of my head were for helping me know when something was happening or something was being said uh, at all. You know, I just, you know, if somebody said something, I could hear it. And then if I felt it was important, I might listen to it. But I would not necessarily stop what I was doing in the process. And Kelly very quickly learned that she had to literally grab the sides of my face and say, attend to me. And I started learning that there was a different way of listening, about putting my whole self into whoever I was talking to paying attention to her tone of voice and her body language and everything else that was going on in that moment. And I think I need more of that attending to the people around me as well as to just life and the beauty of life around me. I need to step out of the busyness or as Eugene Peterson translates Psalm 4610, step out of the traffic and take a long, loving look at your high God. I need to do more of that. I need to do more of just being still. I need to do more of looking at my phone or twiddling with whatever games are on my phone. I think Pastor Chris tried to challenge a lot of that in us as tribe series, to pay more attention to some of the people who are sitting beside you and less with what's happening on those devices. I need to be more mindful. And E, E is extra. Time, intentional, mindful, and extra. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, when speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, says in verse 41, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I want to start getting back to a life of generosity, of extra. I did a lot of this prior to us leaving and serving internationally. But since we've come back, there was so much that we gave up over and over again. Three times in a 10-year period, we sold everything that we had to be able to do what we had to do. And since I've come back to the States in the last few years, I feel more like trying to protect and hoard what we've got because we've got so, such little things left. But there was a time in our lives before we left and while we served internationally, if you said you like my shirt, I gave you my shirt. I mean, I, I did. I would, I would take it off and I would put on a different shirt and I would give you the shirt that you said that you liked. I gave away a car. In fact, it was my dream car that I had received because there was a kid who needed a car with a little bit higher suspension so as he took care of his mom, he could get her in and out of it easier to get to the hospital. And he didn't have the money and resources to get a car. 
and I gave him a car. I gave the socks that I was wearing to a man on, that was homeless in Atlanta because he needed socks and his feet were badly blistered. I had no socks and no means of being able to go get more socks. So I just stopped and took off my shoes and socks and I gave it to him. There's so many different stories that I have of going the extra mile in the moment prior to us coming back. And I have very few of those moments since we came back to the US. And I know that as I spend the rest of my life on this earth, extra definitely needs to be a part of it again. Because this is what separates religion from faith in Jesus, I think. As Jesus was one who taught us to give a little more time, to go a little further to the person in need, to take a moment to touch the untouchable, to grieve with the grieving and rejoice with the rejoicing. A little extra. Again, I'm not telling you that this should be your mandate for 2024 and beyond. I'm telling you to do the work of Psalm 90:12. Number your days. What is the wise path for you going forward? How do you want to spend your life with your loved ones, your friends, your family? Don't take it for granted. Don't think it happens by accident. Make the plan and step into 2024 committed with one another to living a life that reflects the goodness we want to see in the world.